0: Welcome to the HEART Podcast. In this edition, we're looking at new consensus recommendations for preventing cardiovascular disease, put together by 11 UK professional societies and charities, and published in HEART. These emphasise the importance of empowering patients and starting prevention early on, and they also use a new method of risk assessment, the JBS3 Risk Calculator. Here's Heart's social media editor, Alistair Lindsay, finding out more. I'm delighted to say that one of the lead authors, Dr. Ian Simpson, joins me on the line now. Good evening, Ian. Good evening. Well, thank you very much for joining us and for discussing the guidelines tonight. Uh, Certainly, one thing we should discuss at the beginning is that the joint British society guidelines are in a way quite unique in that they really take a consensus view from a number of different societies here in the UK, not just the British Cardiovascular Society of, of which you're president, but also the British Hypertension Society, Diabetes UK and a number of other societies too.
1: Yes, Alistair, I think that's one of, as you say, the unique aspects of this, and I think one of the strengths of these recommendations. Indeed, we have called them consensus recommendations rather than guidelines, partly for that very reason. I think it uh, has brought together uh, the evidence base that underpins um, cardiovascular prevention, but also the expertise of the specialist societies in a way that we can deal with uh, the recommendations in a way that is a consensus, and I think that actually is a strength because it means that all the professional societies that are involved with cardiovascular disease and its um, and its prevention can actually sign up to these recommendations.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, there are plenty to discuss and a, a lot of interesting things that come up in the guidelines. I think one of the most important ones is the recommendation that we now move away from estimating 10-year cardiovascular risk more towards looking at lifetime cardiovascular risk and, and that seems to be something that's been acquiring a lot of evidence for use in the last few years.
1: I think the evidence has been quite strong and people have used the evidence for short-term risk. but really the concept behind JBS 3, as you say, is to move towards lifetime risk. And of course, part of the problem with uh, short-term 10-year risk is that it tends to exclude certain people who might be at high risk, and the obvious example of that is is young women. And I think it, it also highlights the potential for investing in cardiovascular health at a young age, which can often be achieved by lifestyle modifications rather than necessarily drug therapy, although I think the recommendations do clearly emphasize that uh, where drug therapy is appropriate, then of course it it can have added advantages. A couple of examples um, from the guidelines might be quite helpful here. Mm. So if you take, for example, a 35-year-old female who is a smoker, who has a high cholesterol, total cholesterol of around 7, high blood pressure of 160 millimeters of mercury systolic, um, and who has a family history of cardiovascular disease, um in terms of the short term ten year risk, it is probably less than two percent, so of course, would not really register on any of the uh, risk calculators for cardiovascular disease risk at uh, at, at the ten year level of really even uh, any of the, the available calculators and and that expected in terms of the new recommendations from NICE what j b s three recognizes is that that person is potentially a quite high long-term risk. And by modifying these lifestyle modifications and, if necessary, drug therapy to bring these down to optimal levels, they could gain as much as 14 added years before an expected cardiovascular event.
0: That's a very impressive figure, isn't it? 14 years if we start working and attacking risk factors very early on in somebody's lifespan.
1: It is, and I think the other thing is that it is about this investment. And and if you wait until the uh, person has developed a much higher risk, then although investing in drug therapy may, of course, reduce your risk, you never get the full benefit of that early intervention.
0: Yes, and, and one point I know you make very clearly, Ian, is that a lot of the risk perhaps that we see in our older population isn't always modifiable.
1: Yeah and I think that's another issue with uh, using a short-term risk. By definition 10-year risk is very biased towards both gender but particularly age. Yes. And of course you it doesn't mean that that risk is is modifiable and obviously age certainly isn't. So there may actually be patients who have a high uh, short-term risk but it, it is dominated by their age and actually they are Cardiovascular risk factors may be fairly optimal, and in, in these patients, short-term risk would identify the need for medication. Whereas this innovative uh, risk calculator may, in itself, uh, demonstrate that the modifiable risk is is very small, and I think that opens a very uh, appropriate discussion between the patient and the healthcare professional about whether additional drug therapy on top of lifestyle measures is is really uh, necessary or indeed beneficial.
0: Yes, and that brings me on to my next question very nicely, which was about the, the risk calculator that you have devised and that will be available online for a professional, but presumably also in due course, it may be for public use as well. Um, how, how did you go about that process? Obviously, that's quite a big thing to do, and there's a number of different ways of, of doing it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the risk calculator and how we should use it?
1: Well, I think it is very innovative. It's, it's also very creative in the way that it uh, displays cardiovascular risk. And it's been designed by... Uh uh, Professor David Spiegelhalter at uh, the University of Cambridge, and it's based on um, Q-risk lifetime uh, as the sort of underpinning uh, evidence base for the risk calculator.
0: Right. I but see. I think
1: what is particularly useful is that it displays cardiovascular risks and the benefits of modifying risk factors in a number of ways that will... I think, help communicate the risk to uh, different patients or the population. And although, as you say, it has been designed primarily for healthcare professionals, it is an open access calculator and we know that people will access it and use it. And one of our aspirations and almost certainly one of the next steps we will take is to make it much more public-facing.
0: Right. Okay. And one of the concepts of the calculator that I really like is this concept of a heart age uh, that uh, comes across with each calculation, I believe.
1: Yeah, a heart age is not a new concept. There have been previous heart age calculators. But I think what it does is it combines heart age with the projected cardiovascular risk so that an individual can see, on average, the time it would uh, take before the first cardiovascular event. And uh, that is usually sort of uh, linked to some extent with their heart age being uh, increased beyond their uh, current or or biological age. And bringing that back to uh, optimal or, or normal levels, I think, can be a very powerful way to demonstrate the benefits of cardiovascular risk within an individual person.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Well, if we could move on to maybe just a couple of specific things that come up in the guidelines. Uh, I guess we have to talk about cholesterol, of course, if we're looking at cardiovascular prevention. Mm -hmm. And this is something that uh, has very much been in the news the last few months with the change in the American guidelines at the end of last year. I noticed that in the guidelines, one recommendation is the use of non-fasting blood samples to estimate cholesterol. Uh, And that's something that there has been a lot of mounting evidence for over the last few years.
1: Yes, and and I think there are two aspects to that. There is a move towards using non-HDL cholesterol, which we estimate in the calculator from total cholesterol and HDL cholesterol. And non-HDL cholesterol seems to have a much more consistent relationship with cardiovascular risk. And to measure it, you do not need a fasting sample. So I think that it will make it a much easier for people to have their cholesterol checks and to then utilise that information as part of a broader or total cardiovascular risk assessment.
0: Yes, and regarding blood pressure, I, I noticed that you've used perhaps fairly conventional cutoffs for, for blood pressure treatment, but in keeping with the idea of lifetime cardiovascular risk, would you say that the, the guidelines are recommending more of a, a shift towards looking at blood pressure as a continuum perhaps?
1: Yes, very much so. And I mean, of course, there are very clear and good guidelines out there for, uh, particularly for people who have single risk factors about when to introduce um, appropriately medication or when to observe people and uh, uh, further. But we do accept that the blood pressure is a good example uh, as a continuum of risk. And within the calculator, you can see the benefits of reducing blood pressure and the effects of that on your cardiovascular risk. And and that is uh, true both for lifestyle interventions and for uh, uh, drug medication where necessary.
0: Just thinking about the numerous other risk factors that, that are covered in the guidelines and that we know contribute to cardiovascular disease, I think that's really where we see the benefits of the Joint Society's approach coming out because reading these guidelines, there very much uh, is an emphasis on a holistic approach to preventing cardiovascular disease, and that's not just blood pressure and cholesterol, but of course diabetes and patients with renal dysfunction and, and the numerous other conditions we now know can raise your cardiovascular risk as well.
1: Yes, I think it does recognize all that. As you say, it's one of the strengths. So it uh, discusses uh, uh, chronic kidney disease, obviously diabetes, but inflammatory uh, disease, uh, chronic inflammatory disease as well, and, and, and many other areas. So I think it does take a holistic approach. And I think also the other thing to emphasize is that it's actually... Uh, trying to give the decision-making process and the information back to the individual. I mean, we we obviously hope and expect that JBS three will make a, a contribution to population-based cardiovascular risk, but it's doing it in a much more individual and personalised manner.
0: Well, I think that's a very uh, nice way to to summarise everything and, and Ian, well thank you very much for your time tonight and for the hard work that's clearly going into producing these guidelines. You're very, very welcome.